Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty Podcast. My name is Nate, and right across from me is my BFF so far, Charles Thompson. How's it going today, Chuck? Oh, no. I'm glad I'm so far still your friend. Well, I can't technically say forever. We, oh. I don't know forever yet. That was you're, an oxymoron, Stan. It's, so it's, you're my best friend forever so far. I guess it's just you're, you're my BFSF. My, my so best far. friend so far. That's, <laughs> that's that's all we know. I could have a completely different best friend. That's all it is. By the time I'm like 50 or 60. Okay. Well, you know? yeah, but it'll, it won't be because of me. <laughs> it won't be. <laughs> it won't be. It, it won't be, man. We'll, well welcome, still be best friends. Welcome to the Good Morning Liberty Podcast, a place where we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning, which means automatically we're against death, first and foremost, because we are for life, and the opposite of life is death, so we are against death, we're for life, <laughs> liberty, and the pursuit of meaning which means we're against tyranny. You know, we're fighting tyrannical dictators all over the place here. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what we do, man. Whether they're hot or not, I don't yeah. care. North <laughs> Korea, okay, we're still going to fight tyrannical dictators. Oh, yes, did you okay? see that? I'm just, I, I don't oh, care man. how cute your handbag is. We're still against <laughs> death, okay? So I don't we care. We are. I do not care Let at your all. people go. <laughs> just, just do it. Do we have confirmation on him yet, by the way? I don't know, but that is an interesting story that we should dig into. Apparently, uh, the latest reports that I've seen are out of TMZ. That uh, So we don't know how accurate that is. Now, TMZ can be first to report on mm -hmm. these types of things. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people will think they're crazy until it actually becomes true. And then everybody will talk about the ABC article that came out. It's like TMZ yeah. is like... I posted this thing three weeks ago. I man. see a lot of stuff that like was like TMZ first reported yeah. on whatever that, that this happened. I mean, they maybe that's the news source yeah. we should go to. Yes, Who it knows? is. And you know, as far as this podcast, our main goal with this podcast is to figure out who done it. Who done it? It's man. a whole new show. We're we're talking about who done it. It's April 29th, and this is another episode of Who Done It. Yes, that's right. <laughs> is it the 29th? I just had to kick the pug out of here because he was chewing on a bone down here. <laughs> It's going to ruin the whole podcast oh, for man. everybody. But but no, I, I also, by the way, I sent you, I tagged you in a video last night. I don't know if you saw this. We need to probably pull it in soon. But Ted Cruz has figured out that uh, not only did the virus more than likely come from the, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but the United States funded that lab. And so it's possible that there's this whole scheme going on. Mm. And uh, Ted Cruz actually broke the news but it's it's an NIH study, like it's the National Institute for Health. This isn't like some, you know, he was talking about how people on March 10th were saying he was a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist and all this. And he's like, look, this is from the NIH that they're proving the claims that yeah. I made back on March 10th. His crazy patchy beard has not been helping his case whatsoever. <laughs> no. I'll tell you that. I do like the new bearding trend that's been going on in Congress, though. During it's been quarantine. Cool. During quarantine, yeah. they've suspended that rule the the bearding rule and that's okay a great tweet from thomas massey yesterday did you see that he said that the uh, congress won't reconvene until the bill is ready to vote on and so he said who the hell's writing the bill right <laughs> that, i mean who is it yeah if congress is <laughs> they're, they're not there they don't write them anyway i know I it's, know. All, it's the massive corporations that write the bills big libertarian news by the way Oh, there is. Yeah. yeah. Let me circle back to that first report, though, TMZ. They did report that uh, Kim Jong-un had uh, a botched heart surgery, is what they're reporting. And so there was a thing going around Twitter where 
the new leader of North Korea is going to be his sister. And if anybody's going to lead North Korea, it's going to be his sister. <laughs> and that's who it is. Now, I don't know what her name is. It's Kim something. Kim something. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, they have the same. Mrs. Kim. They have, they have the same first name, which is like the same last name we, for us. We call her Miss Kim down south. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a Mr. Kim, Mrs. Kim? <laughs> <laughs> is there a Mr. Kim, Mrs. Kim? She's on vacation. <laughs> All right. But anyway, there was a thing that her picture was circling Twitter and a bunch of libertarians are like, I'd hit that. And it's like, dude, she'd kill you, man. I don't care how hot she is, man. I don't care. I really, I don't at all. But that seems to be what the news reports really care about is, uh, oh, it's time for lady power. It's about time we had a woman killing people. You know, that's what we needed. All these other famines, they've been caused by men. Yeah. And it's time for women to step up to the plate and start murdering millions of people. We've only, so, we snuck in the back door with abortion, but now it's time for them, <laughs> it's time for them to kill people roaming the earth. Kim Yo-jong is her name. Kim Yo-jong. Impossible. <laughs> Kim, uh, let me let me do that in French. Oh God, Kim, Kim Mosseble. That's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> definitely it. Big. I got, I got that from the show. But yes, tell us about the libertarian. Libertarian news, news guys. Justin Amash is going to be on the libertarian ticket for president of the United States. Mm. That's pretty crazy. Now I haven't liked him all that much lately. I like his policy. I like what he votes on. I like his voting record. I feel like he's gotten, I feel like he's gotten very um, never Trumper lately and very, very anti one side. And I feel like he just hasn't been uh, kind of even keeled on everything. I feel like he's only been attacking one thing lately. And I don't really, like, I don't really want to have a libertarian candidate whose main thing is to attack the. Republican candidate. I want someone talking just about liberty and the free market. But, Man, at the liberty. But do you think? But do you think he's doing that to earn some clout? Possibly. Among, possibly. Among, you know, people on the other side, especially among independents. Yeah. Who the people who hate are going to hate both Biden mm -hmm. and Trump. You know, he has to. He has to kind of hate on both of them to try to draw those people in, right? That it's he does have to do that. Maybe that's part of his strategy. Now, listen, I'm not saying I don't like him. Is he's very uh, he's very constitutional. He uh, I think in Congress, you know, up there with he's with Thomas Massey, uh, definitely being the most constitutional, the most libertarian person out there. I'm excited that he's going to be on the ticket because I think he's much better than Gary Johnson for sure. Now, does this matter? No, this doesn't. This doesn't really matter. Obviously, he's not going to win. But what I would say is in a state like Tennessee, I've got a vote where I know I can go vote libertarian. I'm registered libertarian. Trump's going to win Tennessee. I don't have to worry about, you know, throw it, making Joe Biden win or anything with my libertarian vote. There's no talk like that in a state where you know for sure Trump's going to get 70% of the vote. And so what I would say is I'm in Tennessee, I'm in Nashville. I, if Justin Amash is the person on the ticket and that's who I have to vote for, I'll vote for him. I, w I will. I'm probably going to vote for him no matter what. Yeah. I. Well, yeah. I mean, it, you're in Tennessee also, but you're mm -hmm. saying if you were in, if you were in Michigan or Ohio or Florida, you'd still vote for Amash. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I probably would too. I couldn't vote for Gary Johnson. I just couldn't no, do it. No. Doesn't, doesn't matter how libertarian I am. If you, if you are so, if you're going to say bake the cake. I know. Yeah. 
I just couldn't do it. Gary no. Johnson said you'd be forced to bake the cake. I, he immediately kills all libertarian principle right there in that moment. So I do not care about anything he has to say. Now, I agree that you should bake the cake. You should. I actually agree Sh- with that statement. Should being the word. Yeah. Yeah. You should bake the cake. If you, especially if you're a Christian, I mean, what better way to reach somebody in sin if you think they're living in yeah. sin yeah. than by baking them a delicious cake <laughs> full of love, full of Jesus. I don't, I don't understand. Bake them that damn Jesus You could cake. even pray over the cake before you send it out to bless them. And maybe the as they eat it, it blesses the insides and mm-hmm. they become cleansed like drinking Lysol's. You know? Exactly. Exactly. But, but. Wait, are you saying they should have put Lysol but, or bleach in that cake, no, Charlie? No, no, no. Okay. I said pray okay. over it. Charlie, you no. heard it here first. Once no. these baker, bakeries to poison you, their cakes. No, you stop putting words in my mouth. All right. Here's the thing, though. If, if. No, the problem with Gary Johnson is that you can't you can't use Title IX or whatever he was talking about to f- actually force businesses to do to do the right thing. You can't force people to do the right technically the right thing if it violates private property rights. Yeah, you know, you do not have the right to force me to do something for no. you. You just don't. No. It doesn't matter how wrong I am, how it backwards. Christian it is, whatever you want to call it, you can't force me to to do something for you. And that's just the end of story right there. Yeah. And now, you know, we can talk about whether or not they should or shouldn't, whatever. You can't force them with the law. Johnson said to do that. I didn't vote for him. Couldn't do it. I didn't either. Just simply because of that. Amash, on the other hand, you know, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be okay on that issue. And it'll be interesting. Is he going to pick Larry Sharp as his vice president? That's, That's what, what I'm that, hearing. Those are the rumblings so far. Yeah, the rumbling rumors. Yeah. So, that, so now they he doesn't pick, actually. The way the libertarians do is they, they vote. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they do vote, and that's who goes. But if Larry Sharp has his name in there uh, for the national ticket, I, he'll he'll get it. Yeah. He'll, he'll get it. So anyway, there's your inside baseball libertarian news for all you libertarians. A, a pretty good candidate yeah. for, for – for president for libertarian since aught 88 when Ron Paul was on the libertarian ticket. <laughs> Sam calls it the Aleppo upside down cake. That's his specialty. <laughs> that's, that's, right. what, that's what he does. And remember that one time <laughs> oh God, he <laughs> like does. ate his tongue or something. The dude oh, was nuts. Man. The dude, he was high. I mean, he, he was high. We know that for sure. He was eating edibles on set. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, now you're going to hear, by the way, from conservatives for sure that that uh that Justin Amash would be responsible for Donald Trump losing the election that that's what happened what they'll do is they'll look at all the votes that happened and the, all the votes that went towards Justin Amash and they'll say well he just came in there and he was a dark horse for the Democrats and he took a bunch of votes away from Donald Trump and blah 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 I hate I hate that argument because one, we're free market people. If Donald Trump wants to win those votes from those people, then he needs to go out and win those votes from those people. A vote for Justin Amash is not necessarily a vote that would have gone to Donald Trump. You can't just say all of Justin Amash's votes, they would have otherwise gone to Donald Trump, therefore he would have won. You can't just make that claim because you don't know that all those votes would have gone to him. And that's Trump's responsibility to make sure that he wins those votes, okay? If he wants to get the kind of people that are going to vote for Justin Amash, then he needs to bring those people over to his side. That's on him. I thought we had personal responsibility. And here. you'll also hear from the left 
that Justin Amash stole votes from Joe Biden. Oh if, yeah, both if ways. they end up losing, both ways. Yeah, it'll, yeah. It, he'll he will be the spoiler, and of course Nick Sarwak will be like, yeah, good, I want to <laughs> I want to lick your tears or something. Yeah, God, like he'll that. say something stupid. Yeah. Jeff said <laughs> he liked Hornberger, and that's true. Hornberger was good, and like what he said, Amash is more recognized. Here's the deal. Uh, Amash, regardless of how good the other libertarian candidates are, Amash has all the name recognition. All oh, the fa- yeah. I've got a picture with Amash. Okay, he's got all the name recognition. So he'll come in there and he'll... Any of the other libertarian candidates besides Larry Sharp, if he's going to be running, are I would see them just not putting any money towards this at all because they know that Amash has got that name and and he's going to win right. I, would be my assumption. So, and what Jeff said too, if, if Biden picks Michelle Obama as his VP, uh, like we said last week, uh, the election will be over anyway. I'm, if, if he can get over this, if he can somehow get through this allegation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, picking a woman as your, well, he'll, he'll pick a woman as his vice president. He has to. So he'll, he'll pick a woman as his vice president. Um, yeah. If he makes it through this with the help of the media, then, and he has Michelle Obama as his VP. There's no, I, I don't think there's, I just, I don't, I'm sorry if you're a Trump supporter, I get it. I think he'll sweep the floor if he has Michelle Obama on his ticket. Yeah. If, and if everyone can reuse their bumper stickers and just reverse them where they used to say Obama Biden and they'll just turn them upside down uh, and, uh, and Biden, Obama. You can, you can read Biden <laughs> Obama. Listen guys, it's over. That's a money yeah. saver right there. So Anyway, you should subscribe to the podcast, okay? Hit that subscribe button. All right, 92% of people who listen to this podcast have hit the subscribe button, and we really do appreciate that. And tell your friends, tell your crazy communist communist uncle. I say communist a lot. I don't know why. Communist uncle, tell him about it. Well, if they live in a commune or something, maybe. I don't know, like a a common. Maybe he's very common. Yeah, he's a common folk. He's he's a communist. He's a communist. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So this first article article right here. This comes from CBS San Francisco. Now, I wanted to talk about a win to start off the thing before we talk about the coronavirus mortality rate, which, as we've talked about, is more than likely way lower than what we thought. And then we'll also be talking about uh, what else did I have in here so far? Oh, yeah, the whole unemployment thing. And, And more people are starting to talk about the fact that if you're getting your standard unemployment, Plus the $600, you're probably making more money than you were if you were a minimum wage worker or a low wage worker. And what incentive structure does that create? What does it create? So anyway, to start I thought off, you were trying to figure out what San Francisco was known for. Oh, God. Like, what, oh, what is man. San Francisco known for? Oh. Yeah. yeah. Go listen to Norm McDonald's, one of our favorite stand-ups, and, and we won't repeat it on air. That's for him. What's yeah. weird is this is coming from San Francisco, CBS <laughs> local, and it's out of San Diego. How about that? Old San Diego. From San Diego, which means... <laughs> a whales. Listen, the federal judge on Thursday blocked a California law. They blocked a California law requiring background checks for people buying ammunition, issuing a sharply worded rebuke of onerous and convoluted regulations that violate the constitutional right to bear arms. Ooh. This is a win from California. Sharply worded rebuke. Of all places, U.S. District Judge Roger... Benitez of San Diego ruled in favor of the California Rifle and Pistol Association, which asked him to stop the checks and related restrictions on ammo sales. The experiment, this is a quote from him, the experiment has been tried. The casualties have been counted. 
California's new ammunition background check law misfires and the Second Amendment rights of California citizens have been gravely injured. That was mm. nicely worded, Judge. This is going to be of an opinion I'm going to have to go read. It's, yeah, it's pretty good. Voters approved toughening California's already strict firearms laws in 2016, and the restrictions took effect last July. They can't even put terrible laws in effect within a span of a year or so. <laughs> the state attorney general's office did not immediately say if it will appeal or seek to stay the order, which takes effect immediately at a time when some California gun stores have been ordered shut because of the coronavirus. Among the places where the shops were not deemed essential, businesses are Los Angeles and San Jose. So they're, they're, they're not deemed essential in L.A. and San Jose. Just so we know. The same judge's decision last year, striking down the state's ban on high-capacity ammunition magazines, sparked a week-long buying frenzy before he halted sales while the state appeals his ruling. Gun owners similarly rushed to stockpile ammunition before the new restrictions took effect last summer. So just so you know, the people who want this stuff, they're just going to go buy it real quick. Especially you pass this law and it takes you two years to implement it. What do you, you think is going to happen during that time? John, are you, are you sure you want 100,000 rounds? <laughs> you sure? Well, I'd like 200,000, but I can only afford 100. What's so. my max rounds that yeah. I can order, man? That's you, not what people in California sound like, by the way. What's crazy is almost all of California is it's so red. I mean, they really are, just, are. It's a bunch of small towns. You really have. California's a huge state. You know, I really believe when you go around, especially small towns, it's like the bulk of places other than major metropolitan areas. The bulk of places are red or at least independent towards red is what you would say. And then the major metropolitan areas are all very blue. We have that in Nashville. What's weird is if you if you go around the country, most people. They just want to be left alone. They'll, they'll agree with most it's, of the things that we say. It's all these urbanites <clears throat> yeah. that just want control. <clears throat> so we, we deal with that in Tennessee with Nashville, very blue and Memphis. city in Memphis. But Tennessee is going to go 60, 70% in favor of Trump. But the two biggest cities, of course, are Democrat-ran cities. Yeah. And that's just, how, that's just how metro areas are. We, uh, we come from Illinois. And major thing there, Chicago, very, very, very liberal, very Democrat. The rest of Illinois, very Republican. Like, literally, you can drive out of Chicago, drive south for six hours, and still be in Illinois. And most of the state is Republican. Most of them. Mm -hmm. Literally, they had a governor's election where every single county went for the Republican. Except for Cook. Except for Cook County. And there are more people in Cook County than there are in the rest of the state. So don't always judge a state by its color. (laughs) Okay. Judge it by the content of its landscape. (laughs) Benitez. We all know that Tennessee is God's country, all right? The judge called the ammunition background check law onerous and convoluted and constitutionally defective. Mm. Criminals, this is a quote right here. Criminals, tyrants, and terrorists don't do background checks, he wrote. The background check experiment defies common sense while unduly and severely burdening the Second Amendment rights of every responsible gun-owning citizen desiring to lawfully buy ammunition. Good. Good, good. I, I mean, this is a good story. While it's intended to keep ammunition from criminals, it blocks sales to legitimate law-abiding buyers about 16% of the time, he wrote. Moreover, he ruled that the state's ban on importing ammunition from outside California violates federal interstate commerce laws. So overall, this was a bad law. We don't have to go through this entire this entire article right here, but this was a bad law, and the judge in California has 
struck it down. Now they can appeal this and this can keep going over and over all the time. We can keep going back and forth in court, but that's how these court systems work. He has struck down this law. He said that it's unconstitutional. And right now, if you're in California, hey, load up. <laughs> load up on yeah. your ammo, buddy. <clears throat> Do right. it. Do it. He, so he um he was born in Habana, Cuba. Benitez. Oh, the judge was? Yes. Benitez. <clears throat> That's crazy. He didn't come out of Cuba just being a straight up communist. How would that happen? Yeah, well, because he probably saw what happened down there. Exactly. Yeah. You do the math. All right. Tell me what Yahoo News. They want to kill this study, by the way. They want the studies. They want, listen, when it comes to coronavirus, the news wants the studies that say that everyone's going to die. Like they want those studies and those are good studies and you can't question them and everyone's going to die. And we can't talk about the validity of the studies. We can't talk about statistical analysis or projections or the numbers that are in the studies. We can't do any of that when they're doing those studies. But when a study comes out and it says that potentially way more people have coronavirus than what we think or have had it and just were asymptomatic, and what that does, by the way, is it lowers the mortality rate way down because way more people have it than what we thought. Well, we we can't have this study. There's all kinds of problems in this study. So that's that's what we're going to talk about here. Yeah, this is coming out of Yahoo. New studies suggest, suggest huge undercount of coronavirus infections. But are they right? The number of COVID-19 cases in Los Angeles County may be more than 50 times greater than the official count, according to the preliminary results from a new study by the University of Southern California, which estimates that as many as 442,000 adult residents of Los Angeles County may have already been infected. The implication, by the way, I was super sick in February. Mm hmm. And I had fever and lots of congestion. You did not do an antibody test. No, you, you I were checked to see if you had coronavirus. The virus, yeah. And you could have maybe had it and only had the antibodies left back in, over. Yeah, Who back knows? in fe old February's. The implication, as lead USC investigator uh, Mr. Sood told reporters Monday, is that quote the true extent of the infection in our communities is far greater than previously known. Imagine that. Mm. Wow. You won't hear this anywhere else. I'm telling you that. You won't hear it on fake news, CNNs. Quote, we actually found that about 5% of uh, Los Angeles people. How do you say that? Angelinos. Los Angelinos. Angelinos. Yeah. Have, in fact, probably, <laughs> probably at some time been infected with COVID-19, explained Dr. Barbara Fur. Fur? director of the L.A. County Department of Public Health, which partnered with USC on the study. So now, quote, we are able to understand what the real denominator is in calculating the rate at which people who are infected develop symptoms, require hospitalization, and die. But should we trust those conclusions? <laughs> of course we shouldn't. How many articles have they put out saying, should we trust this study the that other said studies, yeah. that a million people were going to be dead right. by the end of the year. Now, did they put out articles that said, should we trust this We shouldn't study? trust those models. No, no, they want to trust that one. If accurate, these <laughs> estimates would fundamentally change our understanding of the coronavirus. Experts have long suspected that real-time testing is catching only a fraction of the total infections, but they have tended to put that fraction somewhere between 1 in 5 and 1 in 20. And if in reality we're identifying only one in 50 infections or fewer, infections or fewer, that would make 
COVID-19 a lot less deadly than previously believed, while also making it a lot more contagious and asymptomatic, silent care, uh, carriers a lot more widespread. That would be a paradigm shift in how to combat the uh, combat the virus, which you may even take Sweden's approach, which you don't do anything. Yeah, so... The, you just treat it like it would be the flu. So, uh, you know, they're going to go through here and talk about why this study might might be wrong. And what's what's really crazy, they're, they're going to be talking about the antibody tests. They're going to be talking about, which, listen, none of these things are uh, a, <clears throat> 100% accurate. They're, none of them are 100% accurate. And, of course, studying 5,000 people is not always going to be an accurate statistical representation of the entire country. So we have to take that into account too. But let's let's play devil's advocate on on these numbers. Now I know Charlie was pulling up some COVID numbers uh, that we are going to talk about, but I pulled them up while he was reading. They said that it might be 50 times more people that have coronavirus than what we originally thought. Now we've got a million cases in the U.S. right now. Let's just say that that's true. Okay, now listen, I didn't do the study. I didn't compile the numbers. I didn't make the test. I didn't do any of that stuff. This is that study that we've been talking about for a few days, by the way. That would mean that there could be, could be or could have been 50 million cases so far in the United States. Mm -hmm. Now that's a massive deal. And these people don't want to talk about it. They don't, they don't want to go into this because that would mean that the coronavirus has a mortality rate of 0.12% so far, 0.12. Now the mortality rate for the flu is 0.1%. And that would mean if that many people have in fact had the coronavirus and never knew it, that's just how deadly it was. You had it and you never knew it. Then that would mean that this would be barely more dangerous than the flu, barely. Say it's twice, twice as much, something like that. I was talking to Lacey about it and I said, you know, We've known about the flu for a hundred years. We've, you know, we, maybe more. I don't know. We've had the flu pandemic in 1918. Just say we've known about the flu for a hundred years. We've got mass vaccination for the flu. We've got medication like Tamiflu that you can take within a couple of days. It'll shorten the span of time you have the flu by a day or something like that. We've got medications. We've got a vaccine for it. We've got millions of people that, that get vaccinated for the flu. And it still has a death rate of 0.1%, still has a mortality rate of people who get the flu of 0.1%. And that's all age ranges, by the way. That's all age ranges. Kids, especially young kids. Now, what would you say about the coronavirus if we don't have a vaccine, we have no medication for it whatsoever, and we just learned about it, and it's barely more, uh, I don't know, deadly than the flu which we've got millions of people vaccinated for and we have medication for. Well, the first step is making sure you crash the entire economy. That's the first step. And making sure that many more people die for economic reasons. Yeah. That's what you do because those are unseen. And we're all about depopulation, obviously. That's that's Bill Gates' mantra, (laughs) apparently. God. Uh, This is obviously all a joke. My answer is all a joke. Um but but you're you're absolutely right. I think this study, and I hope as time goes on and more people get tested, we'll find out, uh, especially with the antibody tests, that a lot more people have had actually had this than we know about. That's been something we've been talking about from the very beginning. And 
Listen, a- we're apparently not, we don't. Apparently, we're not sensitive enough. I guess so. We're yeah. not medical professionals. Okay, now we're professionals in the healthcare space, but we're not medical professionals. Okay. Yeah, so, it's not Nate Thurston, MD. Yeah, this yeah. is that part where we say I know almost every almost everything there is to know about um, almost everything. The medical part is the part that I don't know, really. And in that part, you know, what we've been talking about since the very beginning was obviously the people who were getting tested to start off with. And most people who get tested are people who are showing symptoms or who are sick. And those are the people who get tested. So your, your sample size is skewed. And that's just something in statistics. Your sample size is very, very skewed. And so you don't really know what the mortality rate is if you have millions of people who had this and never know it because those people never get tested. So you could end up having way more people that have this. It could end up having a much lower death rate. And in comparison to something that we've already got medication for, that we've already got a vaccine for, once we have a vaccine for coronavirus... This could end up being less deadly than the flu that we've known about for 100 years. That, that's a legitimate statement. So let's see. Uh, I was going to read what, uh, what Aaron was saying. Uh, let me, let me continue on in this article. True, true thing. Uh, let me. Yes, that is true. He said, what about the number of people who have the flu but don't go see a doctor? So that that is true, too. Yes, I, I will absolutely concede that point. There are probably a lot of people who have the flu, and we as well do not have an accurate number for the amount of people who have the flu. Right. But if you assumed that, if you assumed that for both of them, then they should both follow each other's errors in that statistical sample size. Yes. Except for right now, you have a lot of people getting tested who aren't sick simply because they're worried and they're getting tested. So the, you, to me, the numbers would be skewed in the same direction if that is the case. He's saying uh, what I just said about coronavirus, that there's a lot of people who never got sick and never got tested, so we don't have their information. That's the same thing for people with the flu. But what I would assume is, is that error extends for both of these things. So I would still feel like I could compare both of them. Yeah. Like I said, I, don't, I haven't done the test. I don't know what goes into the test. I'm not a doctor. It's just this is something we were talking about a month ago. And now you've got studies coming out that are saying potentially the same thing, that there are way more people that have this than what we think. Right. So question everything. And in this article, they'll make sure you know that the problem, though, continuing on from the article here, the problem, though, is that these studies may not be accurate. Now, how many times are they going to say something like this? Can we trust these conclusions? Is this study accurate? It may not be. Anyway, they go on to say, known as seroprevalence survey or sero survey, the preliminary USC USC study is the second of its kind to come out in the past few days. The first was conducted by Stanford University researchers in Santa Clara County, California, in the Silicon Valley, and released Friday. Together, they represent the first attempts at this kind of research in the United States. Both Sarah surveys work the same way. Researchers recruited hundreds of or thousands of local residents to participate. They tried to ensure their sample was representative of the county's overall population. They tested all participants with the same serology test, which is supposed to reveal who has already been infected by detected antibodies in their bloodstream. Even if they never showed symptoms or were never tested for an ongoing infection by the more typical nasal swab method. Now, what's funny is, the, the, the nasal swab method is not more typical, by the way. Uh, if you watch the, the press briefing a couple days ago, as I did, because I do this for y'all. Um, uh, Thank you for assuming that burden. For yes, us. it is a terrible, terrible burden. Um, 
quite comical too, by the way. Though. <laughs> I so can't. I get something I out do of it. I get too, something out of it it's too. It's too awkward. I can't watch them. I There's nothing better than Trump just calling a reporter out right to his <laughs> face and just being a total dick about it. Yeah. Um, which is not very presidential, by the way. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's still funny. Yeah, he's the president, so it is presidential. <laughs> it is now. Yeah. <laughs> the precedent has been set. <laughs> But anyway, it's not uh, the nasal swab method is not the most typical because they're actually increasing the the um, the serum test, the serology tests. Well, I heard yesterday that the nasal swab method they're seeing is less accurate overall. Mm-hmm. The, that's the one that has the highest false negative and false positive rate so but far. This article is trying to is trying to plant a seed of doubt that the study that they did, you know, samples in quotes and all this stuff, which is that's all it's scientific anyway. Anyway. Then the researchers tallied up the total number of positive test results, divided it by the total number of participants, and scaled that percentage to the population of the entire county to estimate the overall seroprevalence of COVID-19 in the area. And now what's funny is all this is in quotes again, you know, um, the scaling is in quotes and all of that because, well, this is how models work. So there could be just as much of an error as we'll admit Um, playing devil's advocate here, there could be just as much of an error in modeling out how many people are infected based off a small sample size as there is in the other direction. Yeah. How many people are going to die based off a small sample size. So anyway, both studies have produced similar and similarly startling numbers. In Los Angeles, the U.S. team found that 4.1% of its 863 study participants tested positive applied to the county as a whole and adjusted for statistical margin of error, that would mean anywhere from 2.8% to 5.6%. That's 221,000 to 442,000. They have been infected, according to the USC researchers. By comparison, 423,000 people had tested positive for COVID-19 nationwide as of April 9th when the study concluded. So literally, their top margin of error here was literally the entire United States positive. Yeah. And this is just in one county. So, meanwhile, in Santa Clara, the Stanford team tested 3,330 residents and an estimated that 2.5% uh, to 4%, which is 48,000 to 81,000, of the county's population has been infected, or 50 to 85 times the official number of confirmed cases there. <laughs> 50 to 85 times. Yeah. And we're just going with a little 50 so it's, you know, I want to, I want to point out that we could have, this is, well, let's say this is confirmation bias for us. Let's, let's say that we'll play devils. We'll steal man our own arguments that, well, that the we're whole making time, right but, here. But, but not even <clears throat> that though. Now, of course we both lean on the side of this probably isn't as bad as we've seen, but the whole time we have said pay, the number one thing you should do is pay attention during all of this. The second thing is is you should take personal responsibility. And if you're able to stay home, stay home. If you have to go to work, go to work. Practice hand washing and safe distancing and those types of things. Take personal responsibility for that. But we've also said it's not serious enough to shut down the whole damn economy. Yeah. I'm taking this, you know, we're as we talk about this, I'm still in the in the point that I'm I'm not going to go see my mom or my dad and my stepmom. I'm not going to because I don't want to take the risk. Now, I don't know if that's rational or not, but they're both very, very, very high risk. And, and you don't and have so that's to take the, the risk. And that, and I don't have, exactly, I don't have to take the risk. Uh, we can talk on FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. Now, so I'm I'm trying to be personally responsible 
and I want them to stay home if they can stay home. And my mom what? had what? my my mom just had pneumonia last year, and my stepmom has con- congestive heart failure, so and, I'm not going to go around them right now. And much like if you had the flu, if you were sick, yeah, and you had the flu, you wouldn't go visit your parents Ex- either. Exactly. It's, it's, yeah. Wow. It's like I had the flu a few months ago, so yeah. we so we think so far. Could have been COVID nineteen. You know, I tested positive for oh, the okay, flu. Okay. They tested for the flu. And I didn't go see my mom that, that weekend because I was sick and she has really bad lung problems all the time. So I just didn't go see my mom. And so everyone should just be as responsible as they can. But we have to realize if you're going to pick apart this study, you have to do it with the other studies too. And just be as unbiased as you possibly can. We've been picking apart the other studies for a while. This study, I'll say, it's got a small sample size, okay? About 4,000 people total that they've checked. So it's a small sample size when you're talking about the entire country. We pick apart statistics all the time in studies where they say, you know, the uh, 70% of the country wants Medicare for all. They sampled 1,200 people (laughs) for that. And 70% came out saying they wanted Medicare for all, and they divided the numbers completely improperly. They didn't sample any independents, only registered Republicans and Democrats, and they skewed it towards Democrats, even though there were more registered Republicans. So anyway, it doesn't matter. But we pick apart those studies all the time because a a 1,200-person survey is not indicative of 330, 350 million people. And so we have to do the same thing with this. But at the same time, we've realized since the whole coronavirus panic started that when we started, we were only sampling people who were sick and those were the people who were getting tested. Therefore, the mortality rate was going to be higher among those people who you were only sampling that were that were sick. You know, it's like if you did a study at a casino and you studied how many people lost money playing blackjack and you said, well, we see that 60% of people lost money playing blackjack. Therefore, 60% of the United States loses money playing blackjack. That's not the case because not all of those people are in a casino. Like that's a biased sample size. You can't sample a casino and say that therefore 60% of people lose money gambling. You know what I'm saying here? Like that that's just a completely biased sample that you're taking. Right. So anyway, maybe this is confirmation bias on our pre- predetermined opinions here. I don't know, but, but anyway, we should, we should, well, you have to take take those, well, you have to take those things into account. And I think what you're seeing play out, as I mentioned this entire time is pay attention. What you're seeing play out right now is the models that predicted all of this death, 1 million, 2 million people dying. The models that predicted all of that were wrong and not just a little bit wrong. They were way wrong and they have been way wrong for all the people that are saying, well, Social distancing is working. That's wrong as well because the models took into account social distancing measures. And in fact, when the White so, House came out and the White House came out and we were guilty of it too, the White House came out and said they predicted 200, 250,000 deaths in 2020 from coronavirus. And they were on the lowest end of all of the predictions. And that's what all the news stories said. Well, all the predictions are up around the 600,000, 1 million, 1.5 million. And of course, the White House is coming out and saying 200,000. And now we're looking at it more than likely being around 100,000, 110, something like that is what we might end up with. Half of the prediction that everyone was scoffing at saying was way too low. So it's just these projections, they just... They don't play out long term. It's a small projection. I can't look at the Dow Jones and say it just moved up one dollar. Therefore, it's going to go to infinity. 
I can't say that <laughs> because things change. That's right. Uh, everyone, everything changes. If Apple decreases by 10 cents, I can't say it's on its way to zero. That That is not what I can say. Trends change, the models change, and you have to adjust for that. So, In fact, the Dow just hit a major resistance point, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But all of this to say that you have to, you do have to check your confirmation bias. And I think that we, we try as, as, let's say, as hard as we can, being human, being the humans that we are, to make sure that we take these types of things into consideration. But the number one thing is just you'll, you'll learn by studying history for the most part because there are just things we don't know. And that's okay. It's okay not to know things. But you have to take these studies, all of them, take the models that predict mass death, take the models that predict no deaths, take them all with a grain of salt and try to f- find your way somewhere in the middle and realize Throughout this entire thing, you were still more than likely to die in a car accident. Yeah, that, than that's you were true. from COVID nineteen or from climate so, change. You or, know, or, that's yeah. because we're all going to be dead by now, but according to the models, it, yeah. uh, several years ago. So. And if you listened, what's her name? By the way, we forgot her name. Now this whole COVID things happened. What? Uh, Who? Thornberger. What's? Uh, oh, Greta, Greta Thunberg. Greta, Greta Thunberg. That's yeah. right. Yeah, she was warning. I mean, if we rise by one degree Celsius, well, I mean, Al Gore, plus or minus Al Gore one was degree. predicting everyone to be dead by by early two thousands. Right. You know, I mean, not everyone, but you know what I mean. And of course, things change a little bit. Just because the temperature went up 0.1 Celsius in a span of twenty years did not mean that we were all about to be boiling. That that's not what it meant. Th- things changed as time went on. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing right here. It's amazing how the entire universe is a stock chart. It is. Everything <laughs> is a stock chart. I need to tell my, before we get into the stock market thing real quick, I need to tell a funny story. And I think I've told this before, but it's pretty hilarious. So uh, I um, about six years ago or so, I knew this family that had a houseboat. I spent a lot of time there. Um, it was at Center Hill Lake. And um, Al Gore had a houseboat there too. He had the largest houseboat at this marina. And he wasn't there very often, but what's hilarious, two things. He, he's a resident here, by the way. Yeah, When my is. wife got called for jury duty, Al Gore was called for jury duty uh, for the same case. And mm-hmm. he, was in, he was in the room, and they brought him up to the stand and interviewed him and sent him home. You well, know? of course. So he, he didn't have to serve jury duty, but he's anyway, he's a resident right. here. So he had a houseboat there. Now, because he's, you know, climate, uh, what, what do you call it? He's uh, climate aware. <laughs> he's got climate intelligence, let's say. <laughs> you know, people talk about your emotional intelligence and all that. Anyway, he's got uh, climate intelligence. And so his houseboat ran off a of biodiesel. You know, he, he wanted to make sure that he wasn't harming the environment there. Now, what's hilarious is there's nowhere on the, in the marina to fill up with biodiesel. So how did he get the diesel, the biodiesel there? Well, he brought in semi trucks <laughs> to deliver his biodiesel. Well, they were so that diesel could, trucks, so so that he could fill up his. Yeah. And then, because he's a former vice president and obviously a really important guy with all this climate stuff, when he was actually on the lake in his houseboat, and when he was actually there, he had a full security detail, and he had two helicopters circling the lake while he was there. Now, I don't know if those helicopters ran off biodiesel or not, but I guarantee you they probably didn't. This doesn't sound like a very climate-neutral houseboat. It's just, well, but it ran off biodiesel. Okay, yeah. But it's just... No, let alone, don't worry about the helicopters or the semi-trucks or anything like that. The boat ran off of biodiesel. Exactly, yeah. 
He's taking his biodiesel private planes all over the place. And and yeah. I know that because I was there, <laughs> by the way. So that's okay. what's just, it's just, I don't know. It's hilarious. Do as I say, not as I do. One more thing here. By the way, the market roaring back so far. You know, I, I don't, Charlie and I do not think that this is the recovery of the market. Neither one of us think that this is the recovery. We actually both think that we're going to end up at a lower point than, than what we hit. Well, I, well, it depends on what happens over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I yeah. think the month of May will be very, very telling of what the market's going to do. Yeah, so, uh, it's true. Now, we've got all these all these signals on the chart where, of course, we talked about how uh, we picked all these bounce. We picked the bottom of this massive sell-off. We also picked the pivot point when it moved to the up direction. We picked the sell-off point when it went up to the top. It went up to 25, basically 25,000 today, and it might, it might continue pushing through there. We'll see if we get a massive sell-off off of 25,000. That's a very significant number. But there's a couple things when it comes to this stock market so far. I at first I was like, well, this isn't this isn't that bad of a sell-off. First off, the volume, the amount of selling that has happened has been like a third of the selling that happened in 2008. So as far as the selling volume and the amount of people that are that are actually selling out right now, it's been very minuscule to to other major crashes that we've had. So that's that's one thing. And this is also a stock market sell-off that is in response to the economy being forcefully shut down. There's a difference when it's because all of the businesses failed or the mortgage industry failed, the housing industry failed, and, and they were insolvent. And it just being because they've been forcefully held out of doing business. So to me, those are two very different types of sell-offs. This makes the sell-off weaker to me, but that doesn't mean that I don't think it'll go lower because what we've done in response to this entire thing has been has been really crazy, really crazy so far as far as what the Fed has done, putting in trillions of dollars, what we're doing to the, what the government's doing with our massive deficits. That's going to have massive, massive things when it comes to the bond market. And they're going to be trying to get people to buy this government debt. So we, I think that the market honestly is not done selling off. I, I, I really think it's going to go down uh, what I say, 13, 13, five is, is what I think it's going to go down to somewhere, around something there. like that. So listen, I'm not saying to go short on everything because I don't, I haven't seen the signal that says that it's going to move down yet. We haven't seen that, but I guess it's as good a time as any to mention mastermytrades.com because all of this has been done off of looking at previous support and resistance levels. That's how we picked the bounce in the market, the major low that it made, the pivot points. It made a, a reversal to the upside a few weeks ago and has been moving up since then and has been continuing in an uptrend since that time. Now it's coming into a major, major resistance point right now. So we'll we'll see what the reaction is to that. But if you want to learn how to find those points on a stock chart, the the strategies that we use, we do them on a one minute time frame, very, very narrow time frame. They can this same strategy works on the long-term daily time frame. You can see it on the market right now that that it's working. So it's it's very interesting. And like Charlie said, everything is a stock market chart. Everything in life is a stock market chart. Once you start studying these charts, you'll realize a stock market chart is, is just a measure of human emotions. That's all it is. It's the emotions drive 
the selling, the buying, because the selling and the buying is nothing but a projection of people's future view of what the price is going to be. And so it, it really projects what people's emotions are. And I use stock charts. I'm like, you can use them in your relationships. Oh, we just hit a new low. Like, uh, or this is the best it's ever been. Is it going to get better? I don't know. Are we going to create a new foundation, a new support level where it's never going to get worse than this? Or are we just going to crash back down to this being the worst it's ever been? Or uh, did it just crash down and we just had a false, a false reversal to the upside and now we're heading back to the downside? You know, literally everything is a stock market chart when you start analyzing it that way. It's pretty crazy. So if you want to learn how to master your life, then go to <laughs> mastermytrades.com and check that out. As soon as we get done getting screwed by Wix and the SEC, we'll, uh, we'll feel a whole lot happier about that class. I have to mention there's a binding contract that, that stipulates that I mentioned how much Wix and the SEC are screwing us every time <laughs> that we mention mastermytrades.com. So anyway, go check out that website, guys. That is a stipulation. That's I, it. It's a binding endorsement deal that we have at Wix. Yeah. So. I want to yeah. say that it's, it's interesting, though, if you look at the Dow, there, there, there was definitely some selling pressure to get it down to 18. But then that same, that same buying pressure came in the week, of, uh, the week of March 23rd after it hit its very low. The buying pressure was as um, much as the selling pressure. Yeah, it, it came right back up off of that low. So I think, there's, I, I think on here there's possibly 1,000 points that the Dow could play with. Um, and I really think that if it's able to push through around the 25 seven range, uh, then, then it's going to work out all right. But I think that it, it has three major points that it has to get through before the, the stock market's okay. Um, but I think around this, around this 25 level, uh, basically what it hit today, the 24, 680 level, uh, it went just above that for a little bit today and came back down. You're right. Uh, I think off of this level, we could, we could come down and see some new lows before it actually picks back up again. So. We got to get above twenty seven three before I feel like we've we've recovered from this this craziness right here. Yeah. To me, we've got to get we got to get above all that all that past all those past prices that we that we're working through. So it could be a really choppy few weeks. It's gonna be it's gonna be pretty decisive for what's gonna be happening over the next several months in the market. I think it's gonna be very interesting. Right. So last article real quick, GOP senators warn jobless benefit change will push unemployment higher as many paid more to not work. Now this is from Fox News. So, you know, whatever you think. Republicans didn't they, didn't they, didn't they talk about that not that long ago? They did saying what, like if man, if we give everybody an extra six hundred bucks a week that's twenty four hundred dollars a month. It might just be better not to work. When when uh the the first bill when the the big bill was going through, these same people were were saying this has got terrible incentives built into it. If you're going to be making more money not working than you were working, you got a UBI situation happening right now, where people aren't going to want to go back to work. Their pay is going to go down. Of course, they'll think the economy should stay closed. Why, why would you want to go back to making less money and have to work? Right. You're not going to want to do that. So that's going to, that's going to steer the, the public, the entire, the entire public opinion about going back to work, you know? So that's pretty important. I think looking at the chart, you had to, you had to be making more than $48,000 a year for it to make sense to go back to work. Yeah. Based on getting the extra. And a lot of these people are like, hell man, early, early retirement. Yeah. Spend my days fishing and golfing. Was that someone from Alabama? Making $44,000 a year doing it. <laughs> or is that from Oklahoma? <laughs> One or the other. He's got, right. 
You'd probably buy a couple tigers off that salary you too, could. man. Honestly, this cat stimulus that we got is going to be just <laughs> enough to get those discount tigers that have not been pre-checked for coronavirus. They're on sale. All right, Republican senators are ramping up warnings that the recent boost in jobless benefits amid the coronavirus crisis will push unemployment higher as many individuals are able to collect more money through the program than they made while on the job. Under the Phase 3 Economic Stimulus Package passed last month, also known as the CARES Act, man, those acronyms, Congress provided $250 billion to extend unemployment insurance to more workers and lengthen the duration to 39 weeks, up from the normal 26 weeks. The provision allowed for an extra $600 to be provided a week for four months to those losing their jobs amid the crisis. Small, but this is a quote from from Senator Ben Sassy or Sass. I don't know. Sassy is how I've, how, yeah, how I've really heard it before. Small businesses will struggle as long as long as unemployment pays more than work. Senator Sassy said from Nebraska, the real world doesn't look anything like their progressive talking points, but that's not going to stop Bernie Sanders and Nancy Pelosi from doubling down on sloppy policy. Already, the Wall Street Journal reports that about half of U.S. workers can earn half of U.S. workers can earn more with these jobless benefits than they did while they were working, a factor that could hurt efforts by some businesses to reopen. We should take care. This is a quote from Sassy. We should take care of workers who lose their jobs and a workable compromise could be unemployment up to 100 percent of pay during this emergency, Sassy explained, adding that Labor Secretary Eugene Scalia needs to work on a solution with state unemployment agencies. The Sassy Amendment, so he's putting an amendment out here, would have ensured we do not pay people more to be on unemployment than to actually get up and go to work, to go and work a 40-hour week job. If we don't charge this, if we don't change this provision, we will have created a great incentive for people to leave the workforce. That's mm, true. I mean, this is. is the incentive that's in this. He added, under the current setup, more some people's wages could actually be temporarily increased by 150% by leaving the workforce. This is a perverse incentive which needs to be fixed. I love it when people in the Senate are finally talking about incentives. Isn't, isn't that just crazy? Mm-hmm. Senator Rick Scott also told Fox News that his office is hearing from small businesses across the nation who want to reopen their doors but can't because their employees are getting paid more by the federal government through the CARES Act to not work than they would receive if they were back on the job. So, listen, this is the thing. This says the, the average state already gives $463 per week in unemployment benefits. When combined with the new $600 per week, the average unemployed individual can collect $1,063 per week, the equivalent of more than $26 an hour or $55,000 per year by, for not working, for not working. What, it's just, what, what kind of incentives do you think we're creating here? That's, that's just really the question. I'm sorry for people who have lost their jobs. I, I feel bad about it, and, I'm, mm-hmm. and the government's sorry too. You know, they're, they're real sorry about it because it's their fault. But do incentives matter? Do you think it matters that people have realized that if they go back to working, they'll make less money? This is the entire conversation we've had about the negative income tax, the universal basic income. It's the same idea. When you find out that you could make as much, potentially more, for doing nothing then you could, if you go and work 40 hours a week, you're going to really, really be on the side of not going to work. Yeah. For, for sure. I mean, if somebody comes in here right now, they come through the studio door and they say, 
Nate, I will pay you double to not do anything at all. To do like, are you taking that? I wouldn't do it. No. Yes, I, you would. I like what I do. Yeah. Well, you could still do what you do, though. I mean, you don't. Well, I mean, what I what I do is what I already but like you doing. Just, I don't know. I don't know. You could just stay <laughs> home and trade and not I, and just do less. Per, like right now, you have to you do have to build some websites and do other stuff. You yeah. know that I that I task you with that I'm yeah such a terrible boss about. Yeah, but, you, you've been pushing me to build that new website for so right. long now. Yeah, those types <laughs> of things you wouldn't have to worry about. Yeah, you know, you could just do whatever, and you could pay double. Yeah, you know, I saw this uh, article out of Fortune, and this is of six days ago, by the way. I can't find the latest numbers. I don't think they've released them yet. But as of April twenty third, I guess we'll get the new numbers on Monday. Uh, the real it says real unemployment. So now they're tattle, they're tallying. They're actually going the, to the real unemployment rate. Uh, soars past twenty percent, and the U.S. has now lost twenty six and a half million jobs. Twenty six and a half million. So another four point four million Americans filed initial unemployment claims this week, ending April eighteenth. That's down from five point two million the week prior. However, it marks the fifth consecutive week over three million. So imagine if we have another four million this week. That puts us over thirty million. Thirty I, million. I swear if a talking point in the election is that the unemployment rate went up to twenty percent while Trump was in office. I will put a hammer through a wall. I, <laughs> I, I literally will. And then they say if you combine that with the already uh, 7 million, 7.1 million unemployed Americans before this whole thing happened, you combine all those together um, with the current rate, it would be between 33 and 37 million unemployed, unemployed, which is a real unemployment rate of 20.6%, which, which would be the highest level since... The Great Depression? The Great Depression, 1934. That? Now, this is going to be tough to recover from economically because a lot of these people, you know, people aren't just going to go back to filling up restaurants and, and filling up places where where Hell, there's a I lot am, of people. I am. <laughs> a lot of people are, but uh, there's... I'm ready to get out of here, man. Oh, Give oh, me some service. Overall, I will say, I, I'll say there'll be less people going out to public places than there would have otherwise been is what I would say. Well, and they actually won't allow you. Like the, True. if you look at the phases of these reopens, which I haven't, we need to dig into what Tennessee's is. Cause I don't know exactly what they are, but almost all of them include, you know, bars can't be open, but restaurants can, but they, uh, you can only have half capacity, no more than six people at a table. And all the tables have to be six feet apart. Yeah. So that that's the reopening status. Now, how long does, it's going to be literally, if you look at these phases, it's like a year or two. Before things are actually back to normal. I've seen some of the stupidest six-foot lines, by the way. They're hilarious when you think about it because they've got like a six-foot line from the counter at a checkout in the gas station. But, of course, there's two checkout lines. Right next and to each other. so right next to you is someone else's six-foot line <laughs> right there where they're like two feet away from yeah. you waiting in their six-foot line. I'm like, guys, this – I'm – You see it, that funny meme? According to your rules, I, I am still – Right next to someone. It's it's not just that you're it's supposed to be six foot, feet away from the counter. That's not a it. Radius. Yeah. By the way, it's all the way around. Yeah, so as you okay, like imagine like you're a sprinkler. <laughs> I've seen some of the craziest <laughs> stuff. Like people wearing masks when they're outside running or walking and things like that. You guys know that this thing can only survive in the air for like a minute and a half, 
and you would have to be following right behind someone who has coronavirus. And that's about the only time it could work. And then what will happen is when they go up to someone to talk to them, they'll pull their mask off so they can talk <laughs> to someone. I'm like, that's the time that you were supposed to have the right. mask on. No one understands like why they're wearing the mask. And having face-to-face conversation with someone is not when you pull your mask off and talk and talk to them. That's the time that you put your mask on. Yeah. When when you get up next to someone, we'll, we'll be holding a class on mask etiquette coming up soon. So if you guys are interested, mastermymasks.com. If you guys want to check that out, it's a pretty good website we're yeah. working on. Yeah. They'll do. They'll be wearing gloves and everything, and they'll be like wiping their face because they're like hot or something like with their gloves on. And then they'll touch something else yeah. and then they'll pick their nose. And like and... this thing doesn't only transmit through your hands. Right. That's not, <laughs> that's not the case. That's not what happens. So ridiculous. So it's like a lot of these things, uh, Lacey and I were talking about that if people don't do the proper techniques, like a medical professional would, mm-hmm. they're, they're useless. You can't take your mask off because you're talking to someone. You can't touch your face with your gloves that you're wearing. Like you have just has a little bit of common sense about it. Just a little bit. If you are going to wear all those things, yeah, please have a little bit of common sense while you're doing it. Maybe the government's onto something. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they are better at making decisions for other people than they are. I don't know. <laughs> it might just be a survival of the fittest kind of thing we have going on right now. I don't know. That's what I so. say. I mean, leave the economy <laughs> open. Yeah. All right, guys, that's the show. Thank you guys. Patreon supporters hanging out with us, talking back and forth. We really appreciate that. We got a new one today. Was that Jeff? New one today? That's right. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff, so much. Chipping in and watching us live on the YouTubes, commenting back and forth. You can go to patreon.com slash Liberty. We're running advertisements uh, for some of the people on their tier levels. They say, I want to run an advertisement about the Second Amendment, or I want to run an advertisement about the healthcare sector. And so we run advertisements from our Facebook page about those specific things for some of our Patreon supporters. We're now over 15,000 on Facebook, by the way. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty pretty big jump. That's a so, that was a that was definitely a threshold we had to yeah. break through, man. Between all that was our that was our resistance level. Yeah. So yeah, between all the social media guys, you've all been doing what we need you to do, which is sharing the show, sharing the content on social media, you know, sharing our our Instagram posts to your stories. Between all of the social media, we've got something like twenty two thousand people paying attention to what we're doing and a really large reach from those pages. A lot of people see what we're posting because a lot of people are sharing. We end up having like one post that gets seen by a million people. Sometimes, literally, it's it's crazy. So y'all, keep, we're making a difference. I hope so. I hope we're I hope we're helping people along in their journey towards not wanting to enslave other people to do their bidding. That's that's our and that's our mantra here. Okay, life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning. And we're just trying to get liberty out there to the masses. So if you guys like what we're doing, consider Patreon, patreoncom Liberty. Make sure you're on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and Twitters. All the we got a Twitter account. It's at Good AM Liberty. So go on there, hang out with us, and mostly give us your money on Patreon. That's the that's the biggest thing. But if you can't swing it, wait till your unemployment check comes in and then do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're making more now that you lost your job. Yeah. And we, we, we lobbied just, to get Congress to put that extra just, money in there so we could take some on the back end. We just proved that a fact over fictions. <laughs> So <laughs> we choose science over facts. Yeah, we appreciate all you guys doing that. Please continue to share the show. Leave us 
a rating and review wherever you can, uh, mainly on the podcast app, because that would help us a ton getting more listeners there. So we can't thank you guys enough for listening and sharing the show. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I truly believe we're making a difference and uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. So we can't thank you guys enough for that. If you do all of that, then we'll be back again tomorrow. Hope you guys have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids.